Hi, Gary Zacharias with The Apologist Bookshelf. Oh man, I'm tackling a, a major book today. It's huge. I'll see if I can lift it. <laughs> uh, it's called Theistic Evolution, and it does not argue for theistic evolution. It actually shows a lot of problems with it. Uh, the subtitle is A Scientific, Philosophical, and Theological Critique. It's edited by some big names that you may have uh, recognized. I'll just mention a few of them. Wayne Grudem, Stephen Meyer, J.P. Moreland, and others. So a lot of people are writing uh, these essays in here, and that's exactly what they do. They take on theistic evolution and show the scientific problems with it, the philosophical problems with it, and the theological problems with it. So what I'm going to do is just take one single essay. I mean, this thing is uh, huge. Uh, I don't want to scare people off. It's, it's a monster. It's, uh, it pushes 1,000 pages, 900 and some, actually. And you know what's amazing about it? When uh, Stephen Meyer was interviewed, he said he was hoping that, you know, a few serious people that really wanted to get into depths of uh, theistic evolution would buy it. But he said this book has actually become quite a, a, a bestseller. So that's good to know that people are interested enough to delve into something that could be kind of off-putting as, as far as the size of it goes. So I'm going to read from and tell you about a chapter by Wayne Grudem. Here's what he calls it. It's in the third section, so I want to look at the some of the um, doctrinal views that clash with theistic evolution. So instead of the scientific or philosophical, we'll look at the theological challenges. So his chapter is number 27. It's called this, Theistic Evolution Undermines 12 Creation Events and several cru crucial Christian doctrines. So I like what he does. He starts off with a brief definition of theistic evolution and then the 12 items that he feels theistic evolution uh, has gotten wrong that conflict with the creation account in Genesis 1 to 3. So what's his definition for the theistic evolution? God created matter and after that did not guide or intervene or act directly to cause any empirically detectable change in the natural behavior of matter until all living things had evolved by purely natural processes. So he says that, that seems to be the general uh, consensus of what theistic evolution means. So it's look at the title, theistic, so God is involved. Well, he's involved, at least from their perspective, of creating the matter and then stands back and doesn't intervene directly to cause anything that you can see. In other words, purely natural processes are going to bring about all living things. Well, how does that clash with Genesis 1 to 3, at least according to Wayne Grudem? Well, I'm going to go through them, but it's going to, it's going to take a while, okay? So uh, give me a few minutes here. Let's do the 12 theistic evolution beliefs that conflict with the Bible. All right, ready? Number one, Adam and Eve were not the first human beings, and they may have never existed. Now, that's what theistic evolution says. Uh, so some Christians who support theistic evolution think that those early chapters of Genesis were symbolic and that Adam and Eve never existed, or there may have been thousands of human beings on earth and God chose to relate to just Adam and Eve and designate them as representatives of the entire human race. And uh, he notes that that conflicts definitely with Genesis 1 and 2. So I'm going to skip a lot of his proof 
so we'll, we'll go beyond that. He says, if you look at Genesis 1 through 3, he said it's not really poetry or allegory. He says it doesn't look like Hebrew poetry. It doesn't look like a metaphor. It doesn't look like allegory. He says it's a single historical document, and he explains why. And even in the New Testament, Jesus talks a lot about Adam as the first human being. All right, so there's the first problem theistic evolution has, the one way it clashes with traditional Christianity. Here's a second problem. Adam and Eve were born from human parents. This is the theistic evolution view. They maintain Adam and Eve, even if they existed, were ordinary human beings with human parents. But, of course, that conflicts with the text of Genesis. Genesis says God directly formed the man of uh, the dust of the ground. All right, so here's number three. Now, by the way, uh, you know, you have to decide if you're going to buy into the Bible or theistic evolution. He doesn't try to twist your arm to say one's superior to the other. He's just trying to show you that it clashes with what the Bible says. Here's a third area it clashes. God did not act directly or specially to create Adam out of dust from the ground. Okay, so that's completely different than what Genesis says. Number four, God did not directly create Eve from a rib taken from Adam's side. Okay, that's the opposite of what Genesis says. Five, Adam and Eve, remember one more time, these are what the theistic evolution people will say, Adam and Eve were never sinless human beings. Well, huh, real clash with Genesis there, huh? Number six, Adam and Eve did not commit the first human sins, for human beings were doing morally evil things long before Adam and Eve. But if you read Romans 5, for example, Paul says sin began with Adam and Eve. Number seven, human death did not begin as a result of Adam's sin, for human beings existed long before Adam and Eve, and they were always subject to death. Well, again, you look at Paul in the New Testament, he states explicitly in Romans 5 that human death came into the world through Adam's sin. Here's what Paul says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So it's definitely talking about human death there. Okay, so that was number seven. Here's number eight. Not all human beings have descended from Adam and Eve, for there were thousands of other human beings on earth at the time that God chose two of them as Adam and Eve. All right, so the, the story here from the theistic evolution perspective is that the Adam and Eve of their story were just two individuals among thousands on earth. And so therefore, not all human beings descended from Adam and Eve. But Genesis portrays Adam and Eve as the first two. And God says to them, be fruitful and multiply. The earth had no humans, so Adam and Eve were to begin to fill that. Paul in the New Testament in Acts 17.26, God made from one man every nation of mankind. So plenty of verses clash with that view. Number nine. So remember, these are all theistic evolution perspectives that differ from traditional Christianity. Number nine. Theistic evolution says God did not directly act in the natural world to create different kinds of fish, birds, and land animals. And yet, what does it say in Genesis? And God said, let the earth, and then on day five, God said, let the waters, day six, and God made the beasts of the earth. So it sounds pretty specifically that God did create that. All right, so that's 
the next one. Now we're up to 10. God did not rest from his work of creation or stop any special creative activity after plants, animals, and human beings appeared on the earth. They hold that after God created the matter, he did not intervene in the world to create any living things. Okay, but then there was no special activity of God from which he needed to do the resting that it talks about in Genesis 1. Okay, but the author of Hebrews says that God did rest. Let's go to number 11. What, what else do these uh, theistic evolutionists say? God never created an originally very good natural world in the sense of a safe environment that was free of thorns and thistles and similar harmful things. So theistic evolution says all plants and animals living today resulted from this long, unbroken line of evolutionary change. And so therefore, there was never a different kind of natural order. You know, in other words, things were okay and then things went bad. They, they would say that's not what happened. But for many centuries, interpreters have understood the first two chapters of Genesis to talk about a wonderful place, the Garden of Eden, an idyllic place. There was no curse on the ground and no weeds and no natural disasters. No animals were hostile to human beings. And uh, so that's very different, isn't it? Here's the 12th way that uh, theistic evolutionists differ from traditional Christianity. They say, after Adam and Eve sinned, God did not place any curse on the world that changed the working of the natural world and made it more hostile to mankind. It's just the counterpoint. They do not believe in an original, idyllic creation, and so they also don't believe that God placed a curse on the ground. But if you look at the biblical text, if you really look at it as a historical work of actual events, it shows God did alter the working of the natural world after uh, Adam fell. All right, so he covers those 12 things. I won't uh, rattle them all off again, but you can go back and pick up on them. And then he has a section here that he says, significant Christian doctrines that are undermined or denied by theistic evolution. And this is crucial. This is huge. As he says, ideas have consequences. And it says uh, the theistic evolution leads to destructive consequences for a number of Christian doctrines. He says not just a harmless alternate opinion about creation. He says it leads to progressive erosion and maybe even denial of the following Christian doctrines. So I'll go more quickly over these, but number one, the truthfulness of the Bible. They have to, if you're a theistic evolution, you're requiring people to believe that both Jesus and the New Testament authors were wrong when they talked about the historic reliability of the first part of Genesis. So that's, that's an issue right there. Let me skip over. Let's go to number two. What's another problem that undermines uh, Christianity? Direct creation by God's powerful words. According to the theistic evolutionists, there's no special action of God or intervention uh, to create, but the biblical picture is different. So theistic evolution denies that there are any such powerful words of God that cause plants and animals. Okay, so his... The idea of God's, the wonder of his direct activity in creation is gone. It's lost. The power of his words. Number three, what else does theistic evolution shake up as far as Christian doctrine goes? The overwhelming evidence in nature for God's existence. Okay, let's go beyond that. Number four, evidence in nature for moral accountability to God. If you don't see God in nature... You don't feel like you're maybe going to be accountable to him. 
Number five, theistic evolution undermines the wisdom of God because God, at least according to the Bible, created all these living things, but in theistic evolution, there was no divine intelligence or wisdom beyond just getting things going and putting a bunch of matter in there. In theistic evolution, God doesn't wisely create all sorts of animals, but he just clumsily by his providence brings about millions of failed mutations before he finds anything good. So that makes you wonder about the wisdom of God, doesn't it? How about number six? The goodness of God. Theistic evolution undermines belief in the goodness of God because God is responsible for, at least according to this view, somehow with a world full of deadly diseases and dangerous animals and all sorts of natural disasters. Number seven, the moral justice of God is challenged with theistic evolution because the earliest human beings that were somehow created were sinful, committing all sorts of morally evil deeds, even before God intervened. If that's the case, it sounds like God himself is responsible for human sin. He never created sinless human beings who had a choice to obey him or not. Number eight, human equality. According to theistic evolution, some human beings have evolved primarily from one group while others evolved from another group of early humans. But that means there's no foundational physical unity to the human race. Number nine, the atonement. Oh my goodness. It challenges atonement. Paul links the historicity of the sin of one man, Adam, and the unity of the human race by, uh, represented by Adam to the effectiveness of the atonement by Christ. If we deny that sin came into the world through Adam, and if we deny that all humans have descended from Adam, then Paul's argument about the unity doesn't work. And then... The idea of the redeemed by Christ doesn't work. Theistic evolution undermines the doctrine of the atonement. Number 10, it also uh, shakes the value of the resurrection. Paul links the unity of the human race in Adam and the reality of death coming to everybody through the sin of Adam, and he contrasts that with the resurrection of Jesus to bring new life. But if we say death didn't come into the world through Adam, and if we deny the unity of the human race, then once again, there goes that parallel between Adam and Christ. It doesn't work. It doesn't, uh, theistic evolution actually undermines the effectiveness of the resurrection to give new life to everybody. Number 11, theistic evolution undermines the value of improving on nature. See, according to the traditional Christian understanding of creation, the natural world is not the best, it could be it's under the curse that God placed on it. But according to theistic evolution, there was never a better part of the natural world before the fall. In fact, according to them, nature as it is today is the best natural world that God could have brought about. So in this view, the natural world is not currently under a curse from God as a result of human sin. So the conclusion here, and I won't go through all of these again, but it says theistic evolution denies the historicity of these events and it denies or undermines 11 significant Christian doctrines. So that's his chapter there. And uh, I, I would think you would really uh, get a lot out of this book. It's one of those things where you're not going to sit down in the evening and knock it out. You might just go to a chapter here and a chapter there. But it's called Theistic Evolution. And you look up the names Moreland and Meyer as the editors and you'll find it there. <clears throat> it's a great book. Uh, powerful book. 
Well, thank you, and uh, talk to you next time.